Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. All right. All right, Bettys. Welcome. Welcome. I am so thrilled to welcome you to our new program uh, in Hello Betty. This is our Betty Hormones program. And a couple things that uh, we're going to talk about um, before we get started. So today we're talking all about uh, cortisol. Uh, we're going to be talking about adrenaline, uh, or sometimes uh, called epinephrine and noradrenaline or norepinephrine. And we're going to talk about the stress response today and high cortisol, low cortisol, and then what we can do about it. Um, before we get started, there is a couple of just a you know few note taking items. Uh, first, we are actually doing something that we have never done, which is I am recording this audio on my end, and this is going to be a podcast recording. So anybody who, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a teaser for someone who wanted to, uh, join help, uh, you know, Betty hormones and was like, well, what's it going to be about? Like, we're going to, we're going to actually record this live and we're going to share this to our podcast. With that said, ringing the proverbial gong, we're going to start off talking about cortisol and our sympathetics. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. So I, I wanted to start this series with cortisol because it is one of the main uh, hormones that's involved in blood glucose management. It is a counter regulatory hormone, meaning that, um, under, you know, under normal conditions, right. It's going to oppose the actions of insulin. So we're going to get into insulin in this series, but just as a, a quick back of the envelope, insulin is your fed state hormone, meaning that it is going to take substrate from the, you know, you eat something, you eat a carbohydrate, it gets turned into glucose. You eat a protein, it gets turned into an amino acid. Your insulin's job is to take those substrates, those glu the glucose, the amino acids, the free fatty acids, acids and put it into the cell so that the cell can make energy. Cortisol under normal conditions will like, like two, you know, um, what are those called? Cows? No horn. Like what are the, is it bulls? Bulls. It's the, the, the you know, it's like two bulls that are, uh, you know, they're going to lock horns with each other because they're, they are trying to oppose the action of the other. And cortisol is also a glucocorticoid. So I just told this to Ashley in the, in the pre-chat as well. Uh, and we'll break, and I'm a really big word nerd, right? So when we say glucocorticoid, gluco, because it increases glucose, it increases blood sugar, cortico, because of where it's made, it's made in the adrenal cortex. And then sometimes it's called the glucocorticosteroid or a glucocorticoid. So the oid or the steroid denotes that it's a steroid hormone. So if you ever hear glucocorticoid, now you have a little bit of a sense of it increases glucose made in the adrenal cortex, and it's a steroid hormone. And when we think about cortisol, it's always going to preferentially try to dump glucose into the periphery and specifically the skeletal muscles. So our, the muscles uh, that we have so that we can engage in the um, fight or flight or freeze response, which you may have heard um, in the past. And it's important because 
the, um, it's another thing to consider about cortisol is that it is a circadian hormone, meaning that it is going to follow a certain pattern every single day. So it's not oftentimes when we think about how stress is presented in, you know, what I would call like pop science um, is we're always trying to lower cortisol, but we don't always want cortisol low. We want cortisol high in the morning. And over the course of the day, we want cortisol to be lowering such that by the end of the day, you have almost none of it left so that you can fall asleep. Um, So this is where I think, um, you know, you know, stress, and I'm using the air quotes, if you're listening to me on audio, uh, has been a bit overdone because there's eustress, there's good types of stress, and then there's distress. And we want high cortisol in the morning. Uh, and we want, and that's actually called the cortisol awakening response or CAR for short. We want within 30, you know, to 60 minutes of, of awakening, we want a noticeable spike in cortisol levels. And then over the course of the day, it should attenuate. It should gradually lower, um, all the way down. And this is often like, this is what, like I said, fight or flight freeze. This is the, you know, part of the sympathetic system. When we talk about this stress response in uh, relationship to females specifically, I do think it's worth noting that females also have something called the tend and befriend response. So just with a show of hands, how many of you have ever, like when you're feeling stressed, do you feel like the overwhelming need to clean out your pantry or to clean out the junk drawer, right? Or to clean your makeup brushes. Like that's my, I remember when I was like under the gun, I had a really big deadline and I'm like, you know what I really need to do now? I need to clean my, you know, my blush, my eye, you know, my eyeliner brush and I need to soak it in water. And, you know, it was basically, you know, you, you might say, well, that's procrastination, uh, but this is a female specific, um, stress response. It's called tend and befriend. So we tend to our environment, right? So we, that's the reorganization of everything. We're trying to make everything neat and tidy. Maybe we tend to our children. Um, we, you know, I uh, wrote about this in the book and I said, we want to, you know, spring clean in the middle of winter. Um, or we may befriend. We want to reach out to somebody and offload some of the stress and pressure that we're feeling. So that might mean picking up a phone and texting someone. Uh, it might be speaking to a coworker. It might be speaking to a partner, you know, someone that you trust about what's going on. And I wanted to mention this because, uh, sometimes when we talk about fight or flight, you know, women have told me in the past, well, I don't really identify with that. Like I don't, I don't get enraged. I don't, you know, and I wrote in the book, I think there was a line in the book that I said, you know, women, we don't start wars, right? I mean, there's definitely people who have started wars over women, but women themselves don't tend to, don't tend to start wars. We tend to have this tend and befriend, um, response. So obviously, as I've mentioned, having cortisol, um, around in the short term is a incredibly good thing, especially when Um, we have it in this circadian rhythm that we've been talking about and it's in response to a stressor. Like it's response, it's in response to an acute stressor and cortisol often shows up with her sisters, um, epinephrine and norepinephrine. And we'll talk about those two in a moment. And these often fall, um, under the sympathetic nervous system. So we have, uh, our nervous system has two main branches, we call it the autonomic nervous system. And then from there we have sympathetics, which is what we're talking about tonight. And then we have parasympathetics, which we'll actually also touch on tonight as well. And sympathetics don't refer to, uh, you know, being empathic or being sympathetic to someone. I mean, there's a little bit, sometimes we mix those two words up. Sympathetic is about be, it's about this, this stress response, whether it's tendon befriend, um, or fight or flight. And what I want to, what I really want to drive down today is that we have to get as women, um, as humans, really anyone living in the modern world, we have to get our cortisol under control because if we don't, if we don't, if we are always in our sympathetic, something that's called sympathetic dominance, if we're always activating this fight or flight freeze response, this tendon befriend response, you are never going to get your blood sugar under control. And I know that a lot of you are, you know, you're in Hello Betty, your annual members or your monthly members, and 
you're concerned with weight loss and body composition and healing your metabolism. And cortisol is a main player when it comes to optimizing your metabolism. If you are always pulsing cortisol at the wrong times, and when I say the wrong time, I mean outside of the morning, um, you know, you receive a bad text or, you know, you have to, you know, you're slamming on the brakes or you're road raging or, you know, whatever it is, you will never get your blood glucose under control. So let's talk a little bit about, um, what I like to say, cortisol sisters, um, you know, epinephrine and, and norepinephrine. And actually fun fact, I will say cortisol takes about 10 minutes to, to make. So when you receive that bad text, you know, when you, uh, you know, have, when you have to, uh, you know, slam on the brakes or what have you, um, the rush that you feel is not cortisol. It takes about 10 minutes for cortisol to be made. What you're feeling is epinephrine and norepinephrine. Those are like pre-made and they sort of live in these vesicles. So they're like immediately available for release. So that heart rate, you know, that anxiety, that trembling that you might like, you know, right after you have to slam on the brake or, you know, I remember once having to like, I would never had run so fast in my life when I saw my son was about to like jump out into, he was playing with a ball he was about to jump out into traffic. And let me tell you, Usain Bolt had nothing on me. Like I was so fast to get him. And I was like shaking for quite a while afterwards. So part of that is that adrenaline and noradrenaline. And just for a little bit of word nerd, uh, just to like share with you my, my passion for, uh, etiology. When we say epinephrine or adrenaline, these are this, I'm talking about the same thing. So if you think about the word epinephrine, epi means above. So you may have heard the word epigenetics above the gene, epineph. So the root word there is kidney. So above the kidney, uh, is what we're referring to. So we're talking about the adrenal glands. So this epinephrine is made in the adrenal gland and adrenaline, you know, same kind of the root of adrenaline is adrenal. Um, so those are sort of the same and we'll, wherever you are in the world, there tends to be, um, you know, if you're in, in the States, you tend to use the word epinephrine. If you're in the UK or the Commonwealth, you tend to use the word, um, adrenaline. If you're Canadian, uh, you tend to be a switch hitter and sort of <laughs> say both of them. So you tend to say adrenaline and, 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 uh, and, uh, epinephrine and same thing with norepinephrine, nor means around, uh, it comes from the Latin root, it means around, uh, so nor, uh, sorry, nor adrenaline around the kidney, nor epinephrine around above the kidney. So kind of the same, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of, uh, uh, background in terms of sometimes you'll hear me say adrenaline. Sometimes you'll hear me say epinephrine. We're talking about, um, the same thing there. So epinephrine and norepinephrine lowest during your sleep, right? Shouldn't be happening like that stress response shouldn't be happening while you're sleeping. Uh, Rises during wakefulness and particularly orders of magnitude more when you're stressed out. If there's a situation like you see your toddler as I did, uh, or you have to slam on the brakes or even things like roller coasters, a scary movie, you know, receiving the bad text, all that stuff. That's going to increase your arousal, uh, your alertness, your ability to focus on a target um, and it's also going to increase your anxiety uh, quite a bit uh, as well. A couple other things it does, raises your heart rate, uh, triggers the release of glucose, as we were talking about from energy stores, um, and will increase blood flow to the skeletal uh, muscle. Slows down uh, your immune system, slows down your reproductive system, slows down your gastrointestinal motility. So the reason why I bring those up um, is when you think about chronic low grade activation of this system all the time. So let's say, um, you know, you're in a job that is sucking your soul or you have a, you know, personal relationship that is quite stressful for you. Every time, you know, if you're activating these mechanisms on a daily basis, you can see that the aggregate over time is you're going to have, you know, poor glucose control, which we've talked about from the beginning, which is going to obviously, you know, impair your ability to uh, lose weight. It's going to set you up for things like metabolic syndrome, potentially type 2 diabetes, potentially NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver uh, disease. Um, but it's also going to affect um, your brain as well. So one of the things that we know about constantly activating these stress, uh, mechanisms is that 
cortisol encodes in a, in the brain in an area called the hippocampus, which is our learning and memory center. So it does that so that we don't repeat the mistake, right? Like the, the sympathetic system shouldn't be activated all the time. But if something happens, like for example, when my son was running out into the, into the street, I was like, you know what? I should probably change where I'm sitting. You know, so I shouldn't sit at the top of the driveway. I should probably go all the way to the bottom of the driveway so that I don't have to sprint here. So I remember that memory for me is very salient because at the time was cortisol was encoding in my hippocampus. You should probably change where you're sitting to protect your young. But what happens is if you're chronically activating uh, this stress response, we move to the other end of the spectrum where now it is going to inhibit the ability to pull out memories. So um, we've had uh, Emily Fletcher uh, in HBHQ. She's also been on the podcast. She has a line, which I love, which is uh, stress makes you stupid. And she doesn't mean that in a derogatory sense, but what she's referring to is this neurochemistry that over time, if you are constantly stressed out, it is going to impact your learning and your memory, your ability to learn and your ability to retrieve uh, salient information. So it's kind of a double-edged um, sword. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about what cortisol is and what it does, glucocorticoid, it's the, you know, helps to pull glucose out, throws it into the, um, throws it into the periphery. We've talked about adrenaline and noradrenaline. Um, I also want to, um, I want to talk just to squeak about, um, I want to talk just a little bit about, um, something called cortisone. Um, so when we, talk about cortisol. This is the active form of the hormone. There is an inactive form of the hormone called cortisone. So when we are, um, when we are thinking about cortisone, your body will decide, uh, to keep depending on the levels of your cortisol, your body will decide whether or not to keep cortisol active as cortisol or to inactivate it and it'll switch it into something called cortisone. Now, this is where I went on a nerd sermon. I have all the enzymes and all the like 11 beta hydroxysteroid type one and two. I'm not going to bore you with that, uh, but just know that there are different enzymes that will constantly convert cortisol to cortisone back and forth. And unfortunately, um, when we think about the enzyme that switches the inactive form to the active form, uh, it largely, that type of enzyme lives in our, in our adipose tissue, in our fat cells. So it can lead to, of course, when you have more cortisol uh, being released from the, um, from the adipocyte, that's going to lead to more abdominal fat, that visceral fat. It's going to make fat loss much more difficult. Um, and it's going to set you up for things like insulin resistance, and inflammation and hyperlipidemia and like all the things that the cluster, the cluster F, if you will, of uh, metabolic uh, derangement. So with that backstory, to get, I wanted to really give you a, um, uh, a basic level understanding of cortisol, the sympathetic nervous system, noradrenaline and, uh, and adrenaline. I want to really tailor this to the female experience. And I want to start with, by talking about stress and the effects of women and their menstrual cycle, and also considerations for my women who are in perimenopause and for my women who are in um, uh, menopause as well. So when, and when you have too much stress, it will absolutely affect your menstrual cycle because your menstrual cycle starts in your brain. So I've been sort of hinting, you know, talking a little bit about this like brain. Uh, we have a, uh, many of you may have heard of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or HPA. There's also a hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis or HPO. And too much stress will affect your, essentially your brain's ability to speak to your ovaries and the feedback loop that happens there. So when you are constantly making a lot of the cortisol, you know, you have these, uh, pulse you have these epinephrine and norepinephrine, um, uh, releases, your brain is going to be like, you know what? I don't think that she can handle 
I don't think if she were to get pregnant right now, this would be bad news bears for her because she's already maxed out. If she were to get pregnant, this would be bad for her and bad for the baby. And you may not want a baby, right? So that's like a separate conversation. You may not want to have a child uh, or get pregnant, but what you do want as a woman is you want to ovulate. You want to ovulate, which is, is the release of the egg from the follicle, because that is how you make a hormone called progesterone. Now we are going to go on a geeky magic carpet ride on our sex hormones. I promise that's coming, but you need to understand right now that too much stress is going to inhibit your ability to ovulate. And then that is going to deprive you of progesterone. And progesterone only happens with ovulation. It's completely absent in the first half of your cycle. So when you are on your bleed week, there's no progesterone. In week two, when you see estrogen and testosterone spiking, still no progesterone. She's the princess that waits for ovulation and only then, and only then does she show up. And she is going to, and she's a she in my world. So <laughs> she has a, she has a, a, a sex <laughs> for me. So, uh, progesterone is basically our calming hormone. It's our anti PMS hormone. Um, it activates neurotransmitters like GABA, um, which is, you know, again, without going on like a, you know, a nerd, uh, sermon here, it's, it basically, uh, GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it inhibits activation of things. It helps us feel chill. It helps us feel, um, calm. And the other thing that cortisol does with respect to our menstrual cycle in terms of that brain feedback loop that we've been talking about is that it will, uh, downregulate, um, two hormones, FSH and LH. So FSH stands for follicular stimulating hormone, which is a hormone that stimulates the follicle. Follicular stimulating hormone stimulates the follicle. And then luteinizing hormone, which is another hormone that uh, we haven't talked about today. We will talk about it when we talk about um, sex, like our sex hormones. But this is basically the hormone that allows for the egg to be released. And when you're really stressed, literally your body's like, okay, we need to survive. This is not a safe time to reproduce. So it will shut down your reproduction. And when we think about this in the context of perimenopausal women, I know a lot of you uh, in HBHQ are perimenopausal, if not menopausal, too much stress is going to also change the concentration of these hormones. So you may have these anovulatory cycles. So these cycles where you don't ovulate and you are now, of course, depleting your brain and body of this, of these calming effects that progesterone has. And Lord knows when you're in perimenopause, like you got estrogen up and down kind of all over the place. You can earn estrogen dominant one month and then the next month you're not and it's fine. And then, you know, you may miss a period. And you know, so all of these, all of these things are really important considerations for a perimenopausal woman. And then also for menopausal women, because once your ovaries retire, once they no longer are the primary producer of your sex hormones, it's your adrenal glands that do most of it. So you're, once you head into menopause, your adrenal glands will now take over the, you know, the role that your ovaries have, have had for 40 years, right? It's like the newbie taking over the, you know, the, the, the resident expert. Uh, so they're not going to be able to produce as much. They usually produce, you know, call it 25% of what they use, of what you are, you know, normally producing through your ovaries. And so it's really important for us as women to be thinking about how we can fortify our adrenals by not constantly activating them to create these, um, to create these, uh, hormones that are these stress hormones. We want to be able to, uh, solidify and fortify them. And we're going to talk about high cortisol and we're going to talk about low cortisol as well. So I just want to, you know, pre where I'm, I'm leading up to the crescendo. I promise we're talking about high cortisol. We're going to talk about high evening cortisol when you feel tired and wired, can't fall asleep. And then we're going to also talk about the opposite, which is low cortisol. I just want to make one more comment uh, in terms of the neurological uh, effects of cortisol. Um, and this is surrounding blood flow uh, and your hormones. So our circulatory system is actually how our brain gets the message to the, uh, to the organ. So 
like most things, like your muscles, you know, I, I often make a joke, like with the, you know, the doctors that I train, you know, I've said things like your muscles are kind of stupid, you know, like we want to think that they're really smart, but it's really under nervous control. It's the nerves that tell them contract or, uh, or, you know, have a concentric contraction or an eccentric um, contraction. It's the nerves that do that, right? Without your nerves, nothing, ha- you know, nothing happens. And the same is true in your circulatory system. So your nerves will tell, uh, your arteries to vasoconstrict. They'll tell them to vasodilate. Um, and the blood is how we get the messages to your thyroid, to your ovaries, to your adrenals, to your, you know, name the organ. That's how a lot of the communication, like that's the interplay of the endocrine and nervous system. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want. And if you don't like it, they will refund your money. No questions asked. And you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free Element T sample pack with any purchase. So if you have fascial restrictions, if you have joint restrictions, if you have a degenerating spine, lack of flexibility, um, or maybe you have vascular issues, like you have high blood pressure or high blood glucose, this can prevent adequate blood flow to the tissues and organs that your brain is trying to communicate with. And I could completely go on a whole other tangent and I promise I won't around the neural feedback of, you know, when you have a chiropractic adjustment, what happens, how the sensory in like how the sensory afferents are like reorganizing your brain. We're not going to talk about that, but I wanted to mention body workers like chiropractors and massage therapists and acupuncturists, because a lot of times in the mind of the consumer, a chiropractor is someone that you just see for back pain. And yes, they're wonderful. <laughs> they're excellent. Uh, in fact, for back pain. So is massage therapy and many other, you know, modalities of that nature, but regular appointments with a chiropractor, regular massages, uh, not only is this self-care, but you are going to release, uh, fascial restrictions. You are going to maintain the, uh, in this, in the case of chiropractic, uh, you will maintain the proper spinal alignment. You're going to maintain what we call the, you know, a lordosis in the neck, a kyphosis in the, in the T-spine and then another lordosis, um, in the low back. So you're going to maintain this pliability, muscle resting length, tendon length, all of these things that are going to impact, um, blood flow. So when we're thinking about caring for ourselves and how we can improve the communication, that is one, uh, one modality that you might, um, consider high cortisol. Let's talk about high cortisol. We've been talking about the function in the body, the cortisol awakening response, conversion to cortisone, which is the inactive version of cortisol, reproductive system. Um, now I want to talk in, uh, talk about high cortisol, which is an area that most women will either find themselves in initially, um, or it's been going on for a really long time. And specifically when we talk about high cortisol, it can be all through the day, but where it gets really problematic is in the evening, right? You are going to run into sleep problems if your cortisol levels are too high. And we were talking about the cortisol, cortisol being this circadian pattern where it starts off really high, that cortisol awakening response. And then over the course of the day, I call it like a ski slope. If you were to graph it out on a, you know, on a, on a graph paper or something, it'd be really high. And then there's just like a nosedive all the way down. But if you have an inverted curve where maybe your cortisol goes up as the day, um, uh, goes on, I used to have many mothers, uh, we would take a look at their cortisol and when schools were open, uh, we would see the cortisol spike around three o'clock in the afternoon, coinciding with picking up the kids, right. And having to do the snacks and running to do the soccer and all the, all the stuff. But if your cortisol is increasing over the course of the day, 
your mind is racing at night, you are going to have that tired, but wired feeling. So you're going to feel like you want to sleep, but you're going to feel too wired to be able to engage in a restful, restorative, rejuvenative, uh, sleep. And I talk about this in the book, in the Betty body. I, uh, I sort of made a, you know, what I thought was an intelligent joke where it's like an, I, I laugh at my own jokes. So if any of you don't laugh, I know that I get a good gaggle out of my own stuff. And I, I talked about this. I was like, there's an inverse relationship between sunlight and our anxiety as the sun goes down our anxiety. And I thought that was quite clever. I don't think anybody really uh, thought it was quite as funny as me, but what I was trying, what I was trying to relay there is that as evening approaches and, you know, perhaps the stressors of the day are still lingering, right. Or maybe you have anticipated participatory stress for tomorrow. You're like, God, I have a big day like next tomorrow or I have a presentation or something. You're going to feel really anxious and you're going to be unable to wind down. So just with a show of hands, or you can type in me in the chat, um, I'm going to kind of just list off a couple of uh, clinical signs. Now, remember, this is not diagnostic, but I'm going to list off a couple of Mary's. Are, I already see Mary's already said me. <laughs> Mary's like me. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list a couple of signs and I want you to tell me if any of these apply to you. Okay. Um, and these are again, not diagnostic, but as a clinician, if you're a clinician listening to this podcast or you're a clinician, uh, in here, I know we have some clinicians in here tonight. Um, here's a couple of things that might tip off your, uh, differential that there may be high cortisol with this patient or you yourself tell me if this is you, you need to snack or eat frequently to avoid fatigue or irritation i.e. hangry. Yeah. Emily, I already see your hand up. Um, I need, I have salt cravings. I have low blood pressure. Yeah. So we already have a lot of me's in the chat and I haven't even gotten through the list yet. Yeah. I'm tired and wired at night. I have difficulty falling asleep or I frequently awake during the night. So at this point, I think pretty much everybody has said me. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll continue it to the end. I have heart, heart palpitations or my heart pounds for no reason. Um, multiple food sensitivities, extra weight in my body, particularly around my belly, reduced sex drive and libido. That's a really big one. Really, really big one. Um, and this is my perimenopausal women. I experience brain fog, difficulty concentrating and remembering things. Remember I was talking to you about that when we have high cortisol, it inhibits the retrieval from the hippocampus. That's what that, that's what's how clinically that's the picture that shows up. Lack of energy in the morning and, or, uh, the mid afternoon and, my ability to handle stressful situations has lowered over time. So at this point, I see just thousands, I see like hundreds of me's in the chat. Um, you don't need all of these things uh, to, you know, to qualify, if you will. But if you've, if you've heard like three of them and you've been finding yourself nodding your head or saying, yeah, that kind of sounds like me, this can begin to paint a clinical picture around what's going on. And that is to say that your cortisol levels or your sympathetic activation. So the, the hormones that we were talking about are probably too high. So we're going to talk about solutions. I do want to talk just a squeak about, uh, belly fat as well, because I know a lot of you are here for the metabolic gains. Um, typically when we look at fat uh, deposition on a woman, usually normal, the normal way under the influence of estrogen, uh, we should be, uh, depositing fat or more adipose tissue in our, in our, uh, glutes, like in our booties, right. And in our hip area. And Men, on the other hand, they tend to have fat deposition kind of through the abdomen and like the upper body. Okay. So if a woman shifts this pattern, right, if there, if we start to see now that a woman starts to have that belly fat, right. So she has that, um, that fat deposition through the abdomen as a, as a male would, that's what we would call ectopic, meaning outside of where it should be fat deposition for a woman. So what we're seeing there and why this is so dangerous, both for men and for women who have this ectopic fat distribution pattern is that now what we're seeing is specifically with that belly fat is we are concerned about fat accumulating on your, on your organs. 
And I know that, you know, when, when it comes to weight loss, when it comes to body sculpting and body composition, we all want to get rid of the subcutaneous fat, right? Like a lot of you want to reduce the size of your hips, reduce the size of your booties. Um, but I promise you, I promise you that that is the more desirable fat distribution, even though you may not like it, that's way better than having more belly fat. Because what that's, what that tells us is that your cortisol very likely is too high. And now you're accumulating this, uh, the other, the other, uh, sort of clinical pearl that I'll just throw out for my clinicians is if a patient comes to you or maybe you, if you are not a patient uh, and you're like, Oh my God, she's totally talking about me. Uh, if you are a cardio bunny and you are doing cardio for five, six, seven times a week, uh, often we will also see that is an, or if you are a marathon runner, like you know, all I tip my hat off to you if you can run that. But I will tell you as a uh, clinician who saw a whole lot of marathon runners, they always looked like they were about to die. Like they always looked like they were so sick. And that's because when you are running, when you are doing that kind of cardio, you know, north of an hour call, you know, let's be a little generous and say north of 75 minutes, this is a huge stress response in your body, right? And marathon runners, you know, like I think that, was it like sub two marathon? You're like an act. So it takes at least two hours to run a marathon. Most likely for most people, it's somewhere between the three to five hour um, mark. So um, not a huge fan of marathon. You always destroy your knees as well. That's all the other little pearl that I, um, we always have like ITB, IT band issues and hip issues and knee issues. But back to, back to the fat, uh, the belly fat stuff. Um, Belly fat is visceral fat, right? And if you've listened to my conversation with Dr. Robert Lustig on the podcast, um, I highly suggest that you go, go back and listen to him. He talks about NAFLD or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and he describes it as human foie gras. Like it's the most appropriate, uh, but startling, uh, and very scary, um, uh, description because what he's essentially describing is fatty liver, you know, this, this fat that's accumulating on the liver and other organs, but the, the liver is the one that, um, uh, that we're very concerned about when, when we're talking about, um, metabolism. So I know that it's really easy to be like, yeah, I'm stressed. We're stressed. Like we're all stressed. It's modern life, all, you know, but it's, it's, we intimately care about high cortisol. We intimately care about being sympathetic dominant because stress management is the first line of defense. When we're talking about any hormone, we're going to talk about the sex hormones. We're going to talk about all the things, but any hormone, you have to get your stress under control if you hope to make long lasting change, right? Um, whether that's weight loss, whether that's glucose regulation, like any health outcome, we have to work on some solutions. So that very nicely brings me to solutions. We're going to talk a little bit about some things that you can do, right? So that's the million dollar question, right? Like how can I begin to have this glorious sleep and not be wired and tired and not have all these cravings and not have this presentation that we've been describing? And the answer is really like most, like most things, it's going to be nuanced. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody. You know, it's like I have one answer and I have no answers at the same time, right? I, you know, cause I have things that work really well for me and I'm going to share those with you. Um, but you may hate them, right? So what I, what I want to do around this sort of solution, uh, section, if you will, is to just give you a whole whack of options, right? Give you some science behind it. We're going to talk about supplements and dosing. We're going to talk about behaviors that you can do. And then I want you to take one of them, maybe two, but like just one. And I want you to try it out for the next four weeks and see how that works. Because this, and this is why I started Betty Hormones off with cortisol. It is by far the most important hormone and system that we need to get under control. So while I may have all the answers and none of them at the same time, that's my philosopher coming out to, uh, it's like, I have one and I have nothing at the same time. Uh, let me, there are some, there are some places that we all can begin together. And that's looking at some of our everyday behaviors. So a couple things that you might ask yourself, do you go to bed at the same time every night? Do you take time to wind down at night? You know, and wind down means different things for different people, you know, but things like consciously disconnecting from your devices, um, talking, if you have someone who lives in the home with you, connecting, uh, with that person, um, do you, 
get time to get into your own body, right? That might be part of your wind down uh, ritual. Do you have kids or a snoring partner or a rambunctious pet in your bed at night? Do you have, you know, a glass of wine in the evening? And maybe you're also noticing that you're waking up overnight when you have that glass of wine. Do you eat or drink any of your calories within two hours of going to bed? How much natural light do you get in the morning? Do you go outside and do you have a light viewing practice? Are you a nose breather or a mouth breather during the day, overnight, during your workout? And these are, these are really good foundational places to start. Um, and maybe in hearing me say some of these things, you've said, oh, okay, like maybe I could, you know, maybe my pet is really bothering me overnight, or maybe my snoring partner uh, is, is really bothering me at night, or maybe I don't go out and I get a lot of natural light. Um, Dr. Matthew Walker uh, wrote a great book, um, Why We Sleep. And he's ta- in the book, he talks about this concept of a sleep divorce. Um, which is where couples will, you know, say their good nights and like their kisses and their cuddles, but then they will go and sleep in separate beds. And that may be because, you know, one of the partners is like, a, you know, they snore or, you know, they move around. Like I like to move around. Like I, it's like gymnastics in my bed. Like I'm like left and right and forward and backwards. And sometimes I find, I wake up, in the, I wake up in the morning and like my head's at the, you know, I'm like at a 90 degree angle of where I started. So I think that that's, um, I wanted to bring that up because I think there's a cultural stigma around, especially if you're in a partnership, um, that there's this, you know, there's this thing that if you're couple, then you have to like do everything together, including sleep. And it's, it's funny because no one's watching, right? Like no one, no one knows whether or not you're sleeping in the same room as your partner, except you and your partner. Right. Um, so if, if it's the partner, that's the problem, um, maybe there's a, uh, you know, a delicate conversation that you have with him or her around, having what, you know, what Dr. Walker calls a sleep divorce so that you don't have an actual divorce, right? So a sleep divorce is far better than an actual divorce because in the morning you can go and see your honey and be like, Hey baby, you know, kisses, cuddles in the morning as well. And again, like I said, make, you know, may need to have a little bit of a, you know, boundary conversation. Uh, for those of you that are in HBHQ, my Hello Betty headquarters, um, I'll direct you to the training that we did around boundaries. Uh, worthwhile going back and watching that several times. Um, because that's, you know, it's, it's an important one to have, especially when we're talking about lowering our stress levels. A couple other suggestions, um, that I, that I practice myself, uh, and, or are supported by really great literature. I've already mentioned it, natural sunlight, um, within 30 to 60 minutes of waking, for me, how that usually pa- like pans out is I wake up, I go downstairs and make an espresso and then I go outside right now. I'm trying to grow hydrangeas. So I will just like putter around my garden to see like how they're doing. I talk to them, you know, I drink my coffee, listen to my birds. And then, and then I go back inside and I do my workout, but some natural light, uh, in the morning, uh, is, is ideal. Uh, neat, uh, or non exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is all the stuff that you do outside of your Peloton, right? So this is like all the stuff that you do outside your online class. So this is like walking around, maybe it's in the neighborhood. It's the puttering around your kitchen. It's the gardening that you do. Uh, it's the cleaning, you know, your house or whatever it is. Um, it's like, you know, you know, bike riding with your children, you know, anything where you are moving, but you are not, uh, it's not like a specific, um, uh, it's not a spec like a specified motion. Like you might see in like a CrossFit or in a resistance training exercise or something like that. It's like general movement. Um, one of the general things that I often will counsel uh, my women on is to try to aim for at least 10,000 steps a day. And that might seem like an incredible number. Um, and I have, I wear an aura ring and I would t- I was complaining to my, I was complaining to my team today because I wear my aura ring and I have, I'm actually standing right now on a treadmill desk, but when I'm working and I'm walking, my hand stays, um, stationary because I'm typing. So my aura ring doesn't know that I'm walking. So I was saying to my team today, if, if aura doesn't count it, like, did it even happen? Like, you know, I try to always get to like 10,000, at least 10,000, you know, 15,000 steps. I feel like I've won some sort of prize. What prize? I don't know, but there is a prize that I have won in my, in my soul and in my heart. 
Um, so this, you know, maybe that's too much for you, or maybe that's too little for you. Um, but trying to set a step count, um, that you can easily see yourself achieving for the next five to seven days, you know, and, and if you're going to extend that out, like try to make it a habit. So try to do that for the, the next four weeks. The other one, one of my favorites, um, having an orgasm, right? One of the things that we know is, uh, you know, a cortisol gobbler is that in that post-orgasmic flow, we have lots and lots of oxytocin. Um, and that is absolutely one of the best ways that you can reduce your sympathetic uh, output and you can actually bring yourself into, you know, parasympathetic tone. And I know that it may sound a little crude, but sometimes, you know, as the English might say, my, for my fans in England, uh, you need a good shag. Like you just need like a soul expanding, heart opening, juicy, like throw down, right? Like, and that is, and, and, and hopefully it ends in an orgasm. However, however that, you know, might work for you. So that's a really great way to also reduce your stress response. And in the Betty body, I talk about this. Um, I, I'm going to get this. I'm totally going to have this podcast censored. <laughs> I'm going to have like an E beside it. But anyway, um, that's such an important, I talk about having a seven day orgasm challenge, right? So can you do that for seven days? And if we're talking about four weeks, can we have like a four week challenge, ladies? I think that would be super fun. We'd all lose like tons of weight. We'd all have like the best skin, hair like super thick, and we'd all be super happy. <laughs> like it would be just great. Uh, a couple other things that I would love to um, bridge in terms of techniques for lower cortisol, hydration, uh, a really big one, right? We are largely water, right? Around 70%, you know, depending on estimates, 70 to 80% water. Um, and of course your brain needs water. So when any type of dehydration is going to send a stress signal. Like if your brain is dehydrated, you haven't been drinking enough, it is going to set off that stress um, cascade. So I aim for a minimum. Uh, I typically drink somewhere between three and four liters of water, uh, but a very base minimum. If you're, if that seems like astronomical and you're just going to spend the day in the toilet, you know, try for two, try two liters um, as well. As I see a few of you taking a sip of your water. Very good. All right. Joy practices. This is a really big one. What are some of the things that bring you joy? Um, this is a really, um, a curious question and it's like, everybody is going to be, um, a little different here. Like I was telling you about my hydrangea garden. I'm just obsessed with this flower right now. And I, I just want them spilling out everywhere. So every day I go out, I talk to my flowers, you know, like I prune them a little bit, you know, it brings me so much joy. So maybe thinking about a couple of things that bring you a lot of joy. I think that that would be, um, you know, wonderful. That could be a walk. It could be some time in nature. It could be time with friends. It could be, you know, reading a book. It could be like anything. And those are just some of mine, you know, but, you know, think about some of the things that really light you up. It could be painting, singing, dancing, you know, many, many things that um, can sort of activate and bring you that soul satisfying happiness. Um, meditation, so much literature, uh, around meditation. I have loved it. Um, I speak about meditation often as a way to sink into my body, especially for my type A's, my type A Bettys, my boardroom Bettys. Uh, I know that y'all love to, um, you're always in your head, right. And you're always like, you know, thinking an algorithm and strategy and future and planning, um, getting into your body and asking her, am I being a good steward for you right now? Like, what do you need from me? Do you need some, do you need some time off? Like, you know, getting into your body, um, and allowing that communication. Um, lots of other things uh, we could talk about like psychedelics and that's just my, um, me punting into the hopeful future that psychedelics will be much more of a, uh, regulated, um, you know, not a schedule one, uh, basically illegal, uh, forte, but, um, there's, especially for following like the maps protocol and looking at like psychedelic assisted therapy for trauma. Um, that's another way that we are, you know, constantly activating that stress response is if we always hold this trauma from the past, whatever that may be, uh, that lives in your nervous system. So you're always going to have 
these activations. Uh, it could be watching a movie. It could be the way someone spoke to you, something, someone said something to you. Um, so psychedelics, and I've spoken about my own personal experience, um, with psychedelics helping, um, to, to alleviate a lot of the, my feelings around, um, uh, being, uh, abused and some of the things that happened to me. So, uh, if I may add a joy practice, listening to my podcast, if I may selflessly and shamelessly plug my awesome podcast. Um, so I, um, you know, or find like, that's just another joy practice, something that I'm super proud of. So if you choose to listen to the podcast, I thank you. And, uh, lots of things like sauna, if that's available to you, cryotherapy, like a cold shower, red light therapy, um, sleeping without a pillow. That's an, that's an, another, uh, I wrote extensively about this in the book, but again, talking about honoring that, um, lordotic curve in the spine, we get lots and lots of flexion. So if you're propping your head up with a pillow, you're accelerating the degeneration of the joints. So sleep without a pillow, if you're on your back. If even better, if you can sleep on your stomach, uh, gives you some extension and rotation, which is two motions that we actually tend to lose very quickly as we age. All right. And let's get to supplements because I know everybody wants to know supplements. Um, and I will say that I'm telling you the supplements last, um, because they are supplements. <laughs> they are not mainstays. So they should supplement some of the other things that we've been talking about. So a couple ones that you might consider L-theanine. Um, it is in a, it is primarily in tea. So you'll find it a lot in tea, but supplementation is actually the main form. This is one of the rare, um, uh, supplements that don't actually occur that abundantly in nature. Um, it is structurally very similar to glutamine and it produces GABA. So we talked a little bit about GABA earlier in the hour being that inhibitory neurotransmitter. L-theanine, Lucy. Um, so L-T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. And one of the benefits that it has is it uh, has a reduction in um, anxiety and stress. Uh, typical dosage, uh, first you know, before I give you the dosage, I just want to say, always run this by your PCP, right? Always run it by your primary healthcare provider. Uh, but typically dosages of, um, hundred to 200 milligrams, uh, taken in the evening are really, really lovely. Um, some people actually all take it in the morning with coffee and they find that it kind of takes the jittery edge off of, uh, of coffee and it can help with focus and attention as well. So if you're a bit of a, if you sort of lean towards that biohacking esque, um, you know, proclivities, you can try to combine L-theanine with coffee in the morning, but as an anti-anxiety stress reduction protocol, take it in the evening, uh, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before bedtime. Magnesium is another one, uh, one of the most important minerals in the body. Women in particular, especially if you have a menstrual cycle, we lose a lot of blood every month and with it, we lose magnesium. Um, we did a nerd sermon uh, inside HBHQ on magnesium, like the different types, the different dosages, how to take them, all that. Um, I believe it's in the fuel section um, in HBHQ. So if you want to go and check that out, you can. But generally, I like there to be a cyclical approach um, for magnesium. So 200 to 400 milligrams of magnesium in the follicular phase of your cycle, if you're a woman who's menstruating and if you're in perimenopause. Um, and somewhere between, and in the luteal phase, especially if you're someone who suffers from PMS, uh, again, this is going to be under the, the direction of your primary healthcare provider, but somewhere between 500 and 800 um, milligrams in the luteal phase is typically appropriate. I found anything kind of north of 800 tends to cause a lot of GI discomfort. Um, so you may want to experiment with this um, as well. Okay, two more to round them out. Uh, we're going to talk about chamomile and lavender. Uh, chamomile tea, um, very much a relaxing, anti-anxiety, anti-stress. Um, the um, it's found the 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 active ingredient in um, in chamomile is called. I'm going to say it wrong. I'm just going to spell it A P I G E N I N or apigenin. Or I never know if the G is hard or soft. So apigenin or apigenin. Um, it's found in pl like many plants and herbs, um, but really really uh, high concentrations in the uh, in chamomile tea. Um, Typically, and, um, typically what we want, you can, you can also supplement with apigenin. Like you can just take a, a, a supplement here, um, 2.4 to 8.1 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, uh, would be if you're taking it in supplement form. Otherwise I would take it in, I would take it in its natural form, like a cup or two of chamomile tea. 
Okay. I told you, Ashley, did I tell you I had 11 single, uh, 11 single spaced pages. I still want to talk about low cortisol. Um, but I wanted to, with low cortisol, one of the things, um, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, say about low cortisol is it almost always follows high cortisol. So I spent a lot of time talking about high cortisol because, um, most people will start there. And then we, unless if you have like primary hypocortisolemia, which is, um, otherwise known as Addison's disease, like where you wouldn't just have low cortisol, let's say in the morning, like you'd have almost no cortisol, like you need testing, you need to take, uh, exogenous cortisol in order to, um, um, uh, for, for that particular disease, but low cortisol almost always follows high cortisol and this, and the, the application, uh, or the, the solutions for low cortisol. So someone with low cortisol might have, um, like when they wake up in the morning, they feel bagged, right? They need their coffee. Like if they don't have coffee, it's like, you know, those mugs that are like, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Like you are literally that mug. Um, couple of, we also see medications that can really lower your cortisol into these like almost pathological levels. So things like steroid medications, like if you have, uh, inhalers or nasal sprays, uh, sometimes like, um, creams like, uh, cortisone creams, uh, also can really lower, um, your cortisol levels, acne, a lot of acne, uh, medications like Accutane is a really popular one, uh, that can lower cortisol and so can aspirin. So, if you've ever heard, especially if you take aspirin in the evening and there's this, um, I don't know where it started from, but some group, I, I don't remember what group it was, was like, take an aspirin a day, like take a baby aspirin a day. Um, which I think is really detrimental and really dangerous because it can over time really lower your cortisol. And then of course, opioid medications as well. So these are some of the reasons why you might have low cortisol. So it could be the meds, right? It also could be that you've had high cortisol for so long that, um, uh, that your, your adrenals are just like, listen, girl, I'm tired. Like I need you to like get a handle on this. And if you are someone who wakes up in pain, right. Uh, one of the, um, one of the interesting interactions, uh, with cortisol is with autoimmunity. Some, um, when we think about, um, um, normally how the immune system functions is cells that are tagged to be destroyed. They're often autoimmune. Um, that happens in the morning under that cortisol awakening response. So cortisol is high and then your immune system's like, Rah, right. It's like activated and ready to go kills the immune cells that should be destroyed. But if your cortisol is not high enough, these cells kind of can slip away and it can make those of you that have suffered with any type of autoimmunity, particularly Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you may notice in the morning, like your joints ache, you feel puffy and swollen. And that's because your cortisol is also not high enough. So we want to be thinking about how we can, again, get a handle on our, um, some of the strategies that we were talking about for high cortisol, they also apply for my women who are waking up bagged and waking up really tired. Um, and so I would, you know, we can, we can talk about low cortisol, but in the interest of time, I want to make sure that, um, I'm getting to some of the questions here, but I would say that if we were to fast forward through low cortisol, my, my application, my, my care, my plan of care, if there was one would be literally almost identical to the high cortisol. It's like get some morning light, make sure that you're breathing through your nose. Um, make sure that you're hydrate. It's like, you know, that t-shirt we keep talking about in HBHQ, hydrate, meditate, masturbate, right? That's like the three things that I want everyone to be doing all the time, uh, would also apply to my low cortisol ladies as well. So, um, I didn't get through all 11 pages. I'm a little sad, but I do want to make sure that I'm having time for, um, any questions. Um, Ashley, were there questions that I, that came up that were not answered in, um, and let me just actually say this too. I will, um, I'm going to stop the recording for the podcast now. Um, so that, um, me answering your questions are not, you know, being broadcast to a hundred and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast, 
And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.